0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to talk to you this morning about what it means being a servant of God. We all carry a lot of identities in our life, right? The day I was born, I was born a son automatically. I didn't choose to be a son. It kind of came that way, right? I was born day one. I was a grandson. I was a nephew. I was a, a son. And four years later, when my sister was born... I didn't have a choice in that one either. It's amazing how few choices you really get in life. But I became a brother, and if you you know if you step back at your life and you can can chase you know kind of trace along the way the different identities and roles that you play. Many of them stay with you in your life, your whole life. Some of them are temporary, and we end up becoming neighbors and friends and you know spouses and and just all different kinds of things in our life. And then one day when we realize that we are sinners before a holy God in heaven, a holy God whose judgment is against us, but who still who loves us and sent his son Jesus. When we realize that and we yield our life to him, when we surrender in faith to him as Lord and Savior of our life, we become a child of God. We become adopted into his family, and it is absolutely life-changing. That that relationship, that covenant that we have with him just changes everything in our life. You know, that we, we enter into that relationship based on the purchase price of what he did, and it's completely... Uh, life-altering. It's it's life-encompassing. I remember when Susan and I closed on our house, and you know, it's the day where you walk in, and everybody at the table makes money off of you. It's really not a comfortable feeling if you <laughs> step back. Those of you that purchased something know that. Like, I'm thinking, my attorney gets paid for me. Their attorney gets paid for me. They get paid for me. The, you know, everybody is just, I'm like, Dude, where's the gardener? I'll write him a check or her a check, too. You know, you just feel like you're writing all this to everybody, and But at the end of the day, and the bank even made money off of me, still is. And so the bank at that time, even though we kind of all formally entered into that contract, the bank didn't care what I did the rest of that day. They didn't care what I did the next day. They didn't care if I moved in, how I arranged the house, what color I painted anything. They just wanted to know that I wasn't going to burn the house down and I paid my mortgage, right? That's all they cared about, just do your own thing. It's different when you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You enter into a relationship with him. It is a life-changing experience in our life. But from that moment forward, you are not only a child of God, we become a servant of God as well. He, we live for Him. It is completely all-encompassing. Everything in our life changes. It's unlike everything else. Every other relationship, every other experience on this planet in which we, we live and experience is completely different. And so you may or may not have thought of yourself as a servant of God, but I want you to know that when you received Jesus as Lord of your life, you became a servant of the Most High God. Now, if you have not taken that step of faith, if you, some of you were, you know, trying to like, well, Sean, I'm still trying to understand. I, you know, I believe in God. I believed in Jesus all my life, and I've gone to church, but... Boy, this whole surrendering thing is kind of significant. That's a big thing. Maybe you've not taken that big step of faith. Then at the end of the day, you're not quite yet a child of God. You're not quite a servant of God. But that's the trajectory where you need to go because there's nothing like it in the whole world. There's nothing like God forgiving you of all of your sins, all of the junk. And having the privilege of serving him, having a privilege of living for something bigger than yourself, bigger than just what you want to do, bigger than what your own purpose in life. That God says, "Now you live for Me, and I've got something for you. I've got jobs for you, and I've got roles for you." So this morning we're looking at, going to look at the call of Samuel into ministry. It's interesting. I have read Samuel many times, but it kind of didn't dawn on me until we've been walking through it. But Three times from the calling of, um, of uh, oh my goodness, of, of Samuel. Actually, I got it mixed up. We're looking at the calling of David. So from the calling of Samuel and then of Saul, and now God puts his finger on David, calling him to be the king. Saul is getting replaced, and God says, I've got my man that I want to now lead Israel. Three different times we see that in one book, and I want us to recognize that God calls us. He calls each of us in relationship to him, but he calls us to serve, and then he calls some to serve, and it's a little more, I guess, open or whatever, you know, pastors and evangelists, that kind of thing. But turn with me if you would, and we're going to talk about what it means to be a servant of the Most High God. Look at first Samuel chapter 16, verse one. You'll remember that God has rejected Saul because Saul disobeyed God. He was a man who was jealous and, and just really half-hearted in his obedience to God and God said, Enough of this. I'm going to go find me the man that I choose who I am providing for myself to lead Israel. So that's what he says to Samuel in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? That's a great question, by the way. How long do we grieve over things? And God says, I have moved on. You need to as well. And so he says, Samuel, what are you doing? Fill your horn with oil, the sheep's horn, the ram's horn that would have had oil in it. He said, fill that with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, a man from Bethlehem, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons." God provides from self-servants. That's what we're talking about this morning. So Samuel says, he's like, well, I don't know. How am I going to do this? Because Saul's going to hear about it. He's going to get angry. He's a vindictive, a jealous, a vengeful kind of king. His heart's not right. And God says, take a heifer, go sacrifice, get together Jesse and all of his sons and, and separate them, consecrate them, dedicate them, and get them ready because from among his sons, I'm going to name a king. So in verse 6 we pick up the story when they when he came the sons had gathered when they came he looked on Eliab that would have been one of the sons of Jesse and Samuel thought surely the Lord's anointed is before him oh he looks like a king We discern people from the outside don't we It's funny, we all do it, and today it's not, you know, some will say it's not politically correct or woke or socially correct or whatever, but Samuel's like, this looks like a king. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Not I'm going to reject him, I have rejected him. I rejected him, Samuel. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither is the Lord chosen this one. So Samuel's there. People are gathered around and kind of one by one, the sons of Jesse come along. And God's like, Nope, not this one, not this one, not this one. Seven of the boys came by and Samuel's like, Well, what's going on? And he says, are all your sons here? And Jesse's like, oh, yeah, the youngest is way out in the back pasture. He's watching the sheep way out there. And Samuel's kind of like, I thought I asked you to bring all the boys. You know, We're not going to sit down. Go get him. Bring him in. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. And so we pick up the story here again in uh, verse, let's see, verse 12. And he says, and he sent him and brought him in. And this is talking about David. Now, he was ruddy. Doesn't necessarily mean he had red hair, but he just was more of a reddish tone. Maybe he was a redhead, right? You can't have too many redheads around. I used to... I not only used to be a redhead, I used to have hair. They both were kind of went together. So we don't know that he necessarily had red hair, but he just may have had a different skin tone or whatever. But anyway, he was ruddy, kind of, you know, rugged guy, and he had beautiful eyes. I guess dreamy eyes, might we say? I don't know and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the one. He's the king that I have set aside for myself. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. So everybody saw saw David went from the least to the greatest, if you will, right in front of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says, rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So being a servant of God, I want us to recognize that kind of the the part of the qualifications, part of our role of what God wants in our life is that God calls us to serve him. You see, The day when I was 13 years old and I realized that I was a sinner before God and I knew that I did not deserve heaven. I knew that because of my sin, I deserved hell. I was a pretty good kid as a 13-year-old. I mean, I didn't always treat my sister right and she would say amen if she was here. She'd be like, that's right. But, you know, I didn't murder anybody. I'd never robbed a bank. I'd never raped anybody. I'd never stolen anything. I mean, I just, I was a pretty decent, normal, average kid, if you will. But I knew that I was a sinner before God. That God sees the heart and God saw all and knew everything about my life. And I knew that I was not good enough before Him. That you no know, matter what good I had done, it could not outweigh the bad. And so I also knew that God loved me. And I had known for years the story that Jesus had died on the cross for me. Not the make-believe story, but the history. The history that our Lord Jesus crucified was crucified on the cross and rose again. And I, I got on my knees and I said, God... I know that I'm a sinner. I admit that. I know that I don't deserve heaven. But Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I want want Jesus to forgive me and save me. I want Him to be Lord of my life. And in that time, that's when the gospel salvation that God had secured and provided for me 2,000 years ago came and was applied to my heart and I became a child of God, that God saved me from my sin. But that is also the moment that was also the time when God saved me to serve. You see, each of us who have surrendered our life to the Lord Jesus, it's not just that God saves us from our sin and we go about our life. And well, that's great. I'm all good. I'm in the clear now. Woo-hoo, I'm on my way to heaven. Got my plane ticket, you know, as it were. The, you know, I'm off on my, uh, my journey. But in that time that God calls us, he also has things for us to do. And he calls us to live a life to serve him, to where everything in our life is is an outgrowth of our worship and a yielding to his will and his desire in our heart. And so God was reaching down into David's life. And we don't know exactly when David really had trusted Jesus, trusted that the Messiah would come, that would be the one to pay for his sins. I kind of think it happened before now. I kind of think that it happened when he was out with the sheep, and you read him, read all of the incredible psalms that he wrote. Just such an incredible heart for God. He was a young man who knew the Lord early in his life, but in that God finally said, "Okay, I got a job for you to do, and I'm calling you to serve me." Think back to when Jesus walked this earth, and when He went around and gathered His disciples, and He gathered those twelve apostles. Remember what did He say to them? He said, "Come." Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'll make you fishermen. There's kind of three parts to that. Leave where you are and come to me. That's what we experience when we surrender in faith our life to Jesus Christ as we leave where we are in our sin and going our own way and doing our own thing and we come to Jesus. And we yield ourselves to Him. We put our faith and our trust in Him as Lord and Savior of our life. Then He says, "Your job is now to follow Me. Now that you know Me and have forgiven you your sins, your job is to follow Me all of My life." You remember a, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe three or four weeks ago, that Samuel kind of gave us the little secret sauce recipe, the little graphic I showed you. He said, "Look, Israel, look, Saul. Here's this is not complicated." The, the the Christian life is not complicated. It is not easy, but it's not complicated. He said, simply do this. Fear God, serve Him, obey Him, and follow. And if you do those things, it starts with fear, but really what God is after is us to follow Him, following Jesus, then it all goes well with you. And that's what Jesus was saying. He's like, come, yield yourself to me, And follow me all of your days. And that's what we do for the rest of our life. And as we follow him, he changes our life and we yield ourselves and we obey him. And we experience those things that were in that graphic that we talked about a few weeks ago. But then he says, I've got a job for you to do. You're not just saved from sin, but we are also saved to serve, to serve the God of heaven with our every breath. That means when we're doing the mundane tasks at home, that means whether when we're not doing it and we're goofing off, whether we're playing football outside on the... um, My goodness, what would we do? We did the third annual Turkey Bowl last week. Thank you. I had to get the official title. Once you do it third annual, you got to get it right. We need to trademark that. We probably are late in the game. Like You can't say Super Bowl anymore without getting in trouble. But anyway, whether you're playing football and having fun... Or eating entirely too much turkey and pumpkin pie and watching the parade or whatever you did a couple of days ago. Or whether you're, you know, work at work, paying your bills, helping your neighbor rake the lawn, whether you're serving in the church like everything in our life is an outgrowth and a service to him. And it's hard to keep that in our mindset, but that's what we should do is every day we wake up before God and we say, God, I am at your disposal. What do you want me to do? I've never served in the military. My dad served in the Navy. My son-in-law served in the National Guard. But the private, when the private gets up, he doesn't go and tell the general what he wants to do and what he's going to do. He asks, what are we supposed to do? In fact, he knows or she knows ahead of time when we're getting up, what we're going to do. And if the, the boss changes their mind, guess what? You don't get the question either. You do it. Folks, we are a private in God's army. And we put ourselves at his disposal when we are to do it day after day after day. And it is an incredible blessing because in the process, God uses us and does things through us that are phenomenal. So God raised up King David. He said, you are there for me. You're not there for others. I have provided for myself. You see, as we serve God, it's not just that we serve other people. We do. We've talked a lot about that. We serve God by serving others. We live at His disposal, and what God wants to do is to touch other people's lives, to serve them, so that they, if they don't know Jesus, if they have not come to that place in faith of knowing the Lord Jesus, surrendering to Him by faith, that they take those steps toward him. And if they do, then we serve one another, helping each other grow and be encouraged and work through the things that we have in life, that God has that in front of us. And so he calls us. We live with such a a high task, it's a high responsibility. We shouldn't see it. let Let me say it this way. How many of you want more responsibilities in life? How many of you are looking to take on more to do, right? You know, we probably think twice when the boss comes. They're like, "Hey, you know, I'm thinking about you. You know, the nice things you get to raise and all of this." But there's always a but. But it means X, Y, and Z, and you're like, "Ooh, money's nice. I don't know that I really want a more responsibility." So I want us to be careful, Sean. You're talking like now we're serving God and all of this. Whoa, this is overwhelming. So here's the cool thing: like, yes, we serve God. But there is a holy purpose in this, and God is better than any boss ever was. Far better. In fact, Jesus said, take my yoke, take my sign of authority upon you, the yoke with over the oxen, and learn from me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart. We will find rest. In the middle of that. You see, there's nothing better in life than yielding yourselves to the God that loves you, that oversees and takes care of you and guides you, protects you. Yes, there's challenges along the way, but most of those are because of our own sin, not because of God. And in the process, it goes well with us in our life. So folks, we are if you know the Lord Jesus, you are a called servant of God to serve Him, your whole life, and it starts by you and I just us just recognizing that, it just living that way and saying, "God, I am at your disposal." And as He makes that clear, and as He puts His finger down on your heart and life with something you need to do, guess what? Your job is to do it. Your job is to step forward along the way. Second thing I want you to recognize, and I'm going to have to go quickly. I took longer on that than I should have. I being a servant of God means that we are faithful with our hands and feet. King David started out his job. His resume would have had kind of one thing on it, shepherd. Just taking care of sheep. So, David, you think you're ready to be king? I don't know anything about king. David, have you ever even been in the king's palace? Nope. Have you ever fought in the army? Nope. Do you know how to use a sword? Nope. I know how to use a slingshot, but I don't know how to use a sword. Like, his resume was pretty thin, right? It wasn't fleshed out. He didn't have a lot of experience, but God said... You're the one I want. But what David did have is he was faithful in all the little things. He was faithful. You see, when the party was being thrown and Samuel invited everybody, his father trusted him to take care of the sheep. He wasn't worried him about him out playing Xbox or, you know, ignoring, blowing things off or, you know, taking his car and driving down or wherever. He was they're faithful on duty. In fact, when we hear more about his life, he was defending the sheep and fighting off lions and bears and just like, wow, I don't think I would do that. Maybe from afar with a gun in my hand, but not like hand-to-hand combat. Not going to do that. Not going to grab them by the beard as he did. But he was faithful and all those little things. In fact, later on, when, because the Holy Spirit of God, we just saw the Spirit rushed upon David. I'll talk about that in a moment. The Spirit of God departed Saul... In other words, God removed his hand and his presence from Saul's life and put it on David's life, and there became coming a demon to Saul and began tormenting him and began creating even more fear. Saul was already a kind of a a nervous man, a jealous, a fearful man, and all of that gave plenty of fodder for the enemy to play even more and more. And when the the, the court of, of Saul heard about it. They said, we need to find someone who's skillful with music. In other words, who has a heart of God, who has the ability to, to sing and to play and all of that. They can come and minister to you to help this thing to leave. And when they said that, they said, there's a guy. In verse 18, he says, he's one of the young men. And I've seen, he says, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who's skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. You see, we see David's life early on. He wasn't looking to be king. He was faithful with his hands and his feet, faithful in the little things of life. Jesus said that one who is faithful in very little is faithful in much. Your job and mine as a servant of God is to realize that all the little stuff matters to God in heaven. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not a servant of God because I'm not doing this big thing. I don't have this big whatever. It's like, that doesn't matter. God says to us, "As you are now my child, you are my servant. Be faithful in the little things. Because as I'll tell you a secret, if you're not faithful in little stuff, You're not going to be faithful when it's big. We get that backwards sometimes. We think, oh, this is just a little, it doesn't matter. I'll cheat a little here. I'll, You know, I'll just, eh, it's no big deal. Nobody's watching it. God is. And God's like, well, if you're not going to be faithful when it's little and doesn't matter, why are you all of a sudden going to wake up one day and be a different person when it does matter? Because if you are faithful in little stuff, you for sure are going to be faithful in the big things. So my challenge to us this morning is, are you being faithful in the little areas of life. Are you being faithful in all the little things when people aren't watching and whether it's tending the sheep? David, if we looked at him, uh, you know, we don't really know exactly what his relationship was like with his brothers. In my mind, you know, all the brothers were to be called to the party, and he was the last one out there. Oh, yeah, it's our kid brother. Yeah, he doesn't matter. He's just out watching the sheep. Yeah, we, we don't need him. Like, I I would have been a little bit offended by that, wouldn't you? But yet he was just faithfully serving God in all the little details, to the young adults and our teens in the room, especially you, as you're beginning to, you know, to, to to grow and think about things in life, and maybe it, you're at the stage where it's a little intimidating. Well, I don't know what I want to do, and especially you know the adults in the, in the room are like, "So, what do you want to do, grow up?" And you're like, "Oh, do I have to get asked that again?" I don't know what I want to do. You know, how many of us knew when we were that age? It's kind of an intimidating question, you know, and you haven't seen you've you've lived a little slice of life, and you don't have a. Big picture of what this whole world has. So whether that's where you are or maybe you've got a picture of it and you're kind of aspiring to do these things, I want you to realize is that God doesn't entrust big things to people who aren't faithful in little things. So pay attention to those little things along the way and be faithful in those because God sees all of those He watches all of those. And that leads me to the third thing, is that God, what he expects of us as his servant is for our hearts to be approved, not by us, but by him. By him. We stacked, cut and stacked some firewood this weekend, and I like using a chainsaw. It's just, it's fun. You're like, oh, great, Sean, come to my house. No, I don't like it that much, all right? (laughs) I like it for my house. I'll help you a little bit, you know. But it's nice when you cut something and you start stacking, you look back, and you're like, that's good work. You know, you've got a sweat going on, you've worked, and you're especially if your back's not falling apart and you're not like, oh, what have I done? It's we all step back, and certain things in our life are like, that's good. There's satisfaction in it, right? And we on the inside want to look at our heart and say, yeah, that's good. I'm okay. I'm where I should be. But the one that really discerns and knows our heart better than we do is the God of heaven. In fact, our heart really eludes us. We really don't know what's in the depth of our heart. If you've ever said something before and said, I don't know why I said that. That's not me. I don't know where that came from. If you said it, it's because it's in your heart. If you thought it, it's in your heart. If the attitude's in there, it's in your heart. And we don't really know the bottom of that, kind of like the well, right? My well goes down a couple hundred feet. I've never been to the bottom of that well. I don't know what it looks like. I can envision it, but I've never been there. It's kind of that way. And so God is looking at David's heart, and God tells Samuel, not this one. Samuel, you were making the same mistake again with Saul. You thought Saul was something good. You're looking on the outside. I don't look the way you look. I don't care how tall a person is, how short they are. I don't care what they look like. I don't care any of those things. I'm looking at the person's heart. For you and for me, God cares about our heart most of all. That's what matters before holy God of heaven, not the stuff that's on the outside. We live in an image management world. If we didn't, social media would not exist. You realize that, right? Social media wouldn't exist if we didn't care about the way other people perceive us. There would be no Facebook. There would be no any of it. Instagram, all that. Hey, look at me. Look at all of this. Woo, 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 woo. Yeah. There would be none of that. None of it. Because we live in a, we care about our reputation. We care about the way other people perceive ourselves. We're polishing it and we're waxing it and we're making sure that it looks good and has a shine to it. And God's like, yeah, I'm looking past all of that shine, and I'm looking at your heart. What God expects in our life is a heart that is approved by Him. And the only way that's approved by Him is through that relationship with Jesus, because our heart is full of sin and nastiness. And the only way that gets forgiven and cleaned out is by the blood of Jesus Christ that was crucified for us. And by His grace, it gets applied to our life and and more and more as we follow him, and as more and more that we live for him, he begins cleaning that out. So the problem with Saul is he did not have a heart that was right with God. And because he didn't have a heart that was right with God, he did things that were not cool. He disobeyed God, and God rejected him. And God said, I need a king who's going to be yielded to me. I needed a king who's all in, not on being king, not who's erecting statues of himself like happened last week, but I need a king who's going to follow me, who makes more about me than he does himself. A king that is yielded, a king that knows that he's a sinner, but is saved by grace, a king that's going to follow me and yield to me. That's what God wants above all in our life, is for you and me to have a heart that is yielded to him, that is soft to him, that he doesn't have to you know, hit us over the head to get our attention or kind of pull back on the reins and say, don't be going that way. But one that is seeking him and soft toward him and sensitive toward him. We need a heart that is approved by God and only knowing the Lord Jesus and walking with him and following him day after day and allowing his conviction of our sin to to convict us of our sin that we confess that and recognize it and see him change in our life. Only that brings the change in our heart that God so looks for. And so the servant of God is not only called by him, not, we're not only to be faithful in the little things, our heart needs to be approved by God, but God, I want you to recognize, as he calls us to serve him, but he also empowers us. See, sometimes we get intimidated by serving God. Well, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I've never done that before. This is too big. And God says, good, because now you've got to depend on me. You see, The Holy Spirit rushed upon David, the Bible says, flew upon him into his life, as it were. The anointing of the oil was something that the the kings and prophets and priests were the three kind of roles and ministries in the Old Testament that were anointed with the oil and that... They took the, the ram's horn and had oil in it. You know, if you know anything about the old days in America, you know, a person would have their powder horn, you know. It would be like a cow's horn. It would be powdering it, and you'd use it to stuff your gun with as you before you shot it. Well, this was a horn, a ram's horn that would had oil in it. I presume there was some sort of cork or stopper in it of some sort. And they would take the oil, and they would pour it over the person's head, and it was a symbol. It was a sign. It didn't physically do anything, much like baptism doesn't do anything to actually, you know, to wash away our sins. But it was a sign that that individual had been chosen by God for a special service. But it was a sign that now the Holy Spirit was upon them. So the the anointing was the picture. The reality was the Holy Spirit rushed upon him, as the Bible says there in verse 13. And from that day forward, the Holy Spirit Was with David. You see, God saves us. The Holy Spirit enters into our life in the New Testament, and He is with us. He lives inside of us, the Bible says. And He equips us, helps us to accomplish the things that God wants us to do. He's the one that changes our life day after day after day, but He's the one that empowers us to accomplish the things of God. Later on in in Samuel and we're in uh, the kings, David looks back in his life and he's kind of, he's a little bit in retirement mode. And he says, God, by you, I can walk into the darkness because you light my path. By you, I can leap over a wall. By you, I can run against a troop." And what he's saying is this, he said, God, I didn't have a clue how to become king." but you lit the pathway to show me what to do. Day after day, I didn't know what I was doing, but you did, and I just followed you. And God, by you, I was able to bound over a high wall. Don't think little rock walls that are just a clear field to get the rocks out of the way. Think walls that are meant to keep the enemy out. David's like, I just jumped over that. And that's what he's saying is, God, I look at my life and I've done the impossible. God, I've run been one man and I've run against a whole platoon, a whole squad, a whole troop of soldiers and lived to tell the tale. You see, God equips you and me for supernatural ministry, things that only he can do. You and I, we think that we're being humble when we're like, well, I just can't do that. I'm nobody. No, we're actually being lack of faith. God says, would you trust me? I'm just looking for someone, as the scripture says, someone, the Bible says that God's eyes run to and fro throughout all the earth, looking to show himself strong, give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Here's that heart again. God's like, I want to use you. I'm looking for somebody whose heart's blameless, and I'm just I'm looking, in other words, These are kind of hard things to find. These are precious stones in the world. And God's just looking for us to just be willing to trust Him, to show Himself strong as we live our life and as we serve for Him. And the key commodity in that is a blameless heart. So, folks, I don't know what God is wanting to equip you. You feel unqualified for or feel nervous about. or I don't know if I can do this. I've seen some young adults, you know, as they... Think about having a baby, I could never do that, I don't know what to do. Well, there's part of that that's good. You ought to think this is an awesome responsibility that's a big deal. But God will help you. Like there's nothing that comes along in your life. If your heart's blameless before God and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you know the Lord Jesus, he doesn't help you with nothing. He equips you. He gives you what you need. As long as you're serving him and living for him in your life, And then he he gives us, we've talked before, I won't go into it, but all the spiritual gifts and all of the things to be used of him in the life of around us. I look at River and the different people that do so many things. I'm in awe of things and abilities and skills, you know, not just the spiritual gifts, but in general. I mean, look at King David. He was a warrior king, but the man had a passionate, tender heart. Read the Psalms, and later on he's known as a sweet psalmist. He was a musician at heart, and he had a heart for God. Usually don't think of those kind of, you know, two things going together, but all of that were things that God had put in his life. And you and I are the exact same way that we have uniqueness about us that God wants to use in the world around us. If we're willing to make ourselves available to him and to trust him and to work on our heart and allow him to work on our heart before him, and allow the Holy Spirit to equip our life. Well, two things and then I'm done. David, as as other people looked at his life and discerned what he was, they called him a man of valor, a man of of war, a man who was was brave and, and skillful in what he knew. He might not have known swords, but he knew how to use a slingshot, as we'll see next week. But the Bible says that he was prudent in his speech in verse 18. It's kind of the same thing that it said of Samuel. You may not remember it, but the Bible says that none of his words fell to the ground. And Samuel, or King David, was the same way. That there was a wisdom about his speech. He didn't speak frivolously. He didn't blow hard. He didn't speak arrogantly. That his words were wisdom and prudent, even as a young man. I think back to 1 Timothy 4, where Paul talks to Timothy, and it's used in youth groups all around the world, but uh, where the Bible challenges us, and we're to challenge young people to not let anyone despise them for their youth. In other words, it's not saying, hey, teenagers or young adults, don't let anybody disrespect you. Make sure you stand up for yourself. It's not saying that. It's saying, hey, act in a way that nobody would look down on you. In other words, you be an example in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, your faith, and your purity. That's the way we're all supposed to be. Young adults and teens are supposed to lead the way. There's a challenge in that. We should expect that and help them with that. But we're all to be there. Servants of God are careful with their words. Careful with them careful in what we say and how we say it, careful in our life and what we do. And then the last piece of this is a servant of God that I just love this observation. This was another man giving us a glimpse of David's life. In verse 18, it says that the Lord is with him. That person stepped back and kind of bottom line said, you know what? God is with that man. He is with him. Sometimes you and I want God to be with us, but the problem is, is we're not with God. God is not with people who are not with him, all right? If you're with God, then God is with you. You're doing your own thing? Sorry, God is not with you. So let's get the kind of the the cart before the horse there, all right? This is said well. It's under the inspiration of God. It's said the right way. There is a piece of this that's incredible, That when you have yielded and are before God and following Him, you are with God. But the crazy thing is, as you're with God, it flips. And the God of the universe is with you. With you. And there's a confidence as we live our life, God is with me. He is with me. He is for me. He is with me. I am walking with Him. And that is a promise that every child of God can claim when they're living the life of a servant of God. That the God of heaven is with you. We sometimes miss that. We sometimes forget about it. Quite frankly, it's part of being human. I can't say that I was sitting on Thanksgiving Day as I slammed down my nice, wonderful piece of pumpkin pie. God's with me right now. This is great. Honestly, I was thinking about eating pumpkin pie. You know, my life wasn't very deep in that moment. It's okay. But we need to regularly, daily in our life, God, I want to be, and I'm with you. And there is not a proudness or an arrogance. There is a confidence, a hopefulness, and a faith. God, you are with me. And that's the blessing of God that settles in on the life of people who know and follow Jesus. That's what God wants us to be and experience in our life, folks. That's what he wants in our life. We in the t-shirts that we just purchased, what, a few months ago? Back this summer, I think. If you look on them, I don't remember how the words go. I know some go up and down or whatever. But it's love, grow, serve. God wants us to love him and enter into that relationship with him by faith and turn around and love others, right? That's what Jesus said. And he wants us to grow. If you are drawing breath today and you are at 98.6 temperature, in other words, you're alive, God has something for you to grow in. He's not done. You've got new things going on in your life, new stages, new things where you're learning faithfulness and trustfulness and obedience and new opportunities of service. Every one of us. And He wants us to serve, to serve Him and to serve others. By the way... You can't love God and love others without serving God and serving others. You can't love God and not grow. You can't grow without serving. All of those go together. And when we live in that way, God has just a way of settling His hand upon our family and upon our life. That doesn't mean that nothing bad ever happens to us. But it means there's a witness of God... That just people look at us and say, man, God is just blessing them and with them and walking with them. That's not for the precious few, folks. That's for anyone who knows the Lord Jesus. But the issue to get to that point is our hearts have to get right before God. And kind of what Samuel said, fear God, serve Him, obey, and follow And as we follow, we serve God and we obey him and all the things that we want to do, the ministries that he calls us to, and his life settles upon us. So I don't know. There's many targets in here this morning. I don't know what God has been speaking to your heart about. But if you've been trying to understand what the gospel is and what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, not just a church attender, not just somebody who's believed in God and believed in Jesus all their life, but somebody who has surrendered their life and faith, trusting that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And your whole hope and confidence is in that alone, not in your baptism, whether you were a child or as an adult, not in church attendance, not in anything a church has done in your life, but simply that Jesus died for you. If you've not taken that step of faith this morning, I urge you to, before God, to get on your knees in your heart at least, if not physically here, but to yield yourself. Admit that you're a sinner and ask Jesus to save you from your sins. Only Jesus can deliver you from that and make you a child and a servant of God. I would love to talk to you about that. There would be others here that would be glad to help you with that. We're available to you. But maybe along the way, God said, you know what? You've, You've been pretty faithful, but there's some little things in here you haven't been. Acknowledge that to God. Confess that and go take care of business. Do what you need to do. God's a gracious God when we turn to Him and get it squared away. Maybe you've been kind of on the outside managing your spiritual Christian image, but on the inside, your heart is not where it should be. Leave the side stuff alone. Deal with your heart. Maybe God's been speaking to you about that. Maybe God's been speaking about your speech... Maybe you've just kind of been like not living in a way that, you know, you've kind of been trying to get God to be with you, but you haven't been so focused on being with God. I don't know what God has been dealing in your heart with this morning, but respond to Him in obedience and faith and confession and take that next step And your relationship with him whatever that might look like if you need to talk with somebody one of the pastors be glad to talk with you after the service others would be glad to talk with you as well but take that next step to him i can't think thanksgiving weekend it's our holiday it's our human holiday but there's no better way to be thankful to god than to respond in faith to what he's done for you and to respond in obedience and to ask him to work in your life he knows you don't have it all together. That's why he sent Jesus. But he'll help you if you reach out to him. Pray with me. Thank you for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at River of Life Church or find us online on Facebook, YouTube, or at riveralbany.com.